Good morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome to the 8311 cast featuring Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter. Do, do we really feature Kyle or is he just kind of here? I think he's just more here. I think it features me and you and Kyle's just kind of here, Wyatt. Really? I feel like I'm just kind of here. No, I feel like Kyle's one is just kind of here. He just likes to think he's really cool by plugging in stats, but, you know, he's really not. Quoting 247 Sports. It's not 247 Sports, Kyle. Just a thought. So we're back to episode one. Speaking of things that are cool, let's talk about that cool Cyclone win. Let's go. That was a, a big win against uh, big win against Texas Tech on uh, on Saturday. Brock Purdy in the offense did uh, did enough to keep us uh, in the game. He was inconsistent, I would say. Brock Purdy was especially. He made a really. I mean, we'll just we'll just call it what it is. He made a real freshman play. Uh, in the fourth quarter, there the strip sack that tied up the game at uh, at 31. That was just a f- he's got to know when he makes a three step drop like that, three step drop, five step drop. I'm not exactly sure which one it was. That if if his first read isn't there, he's got to get rid of it in that situation with the end zone. He can't he can't take that sack in the end zone. So he's really got to uh, got to mature a little bit in that aspect of the game. But David Montgomery had another great game on the ground. Brock Purdy did enough through the air to uh, get us enough points to get the victory. And overall, I think it was a, uh, a pretty good win for the Cyclones. Yeah, it's a good win, um, and it really helps to continue our morale and mentality going forward through the season. Um, we are still undefeated in the, in the previous two years in the month of October, so we kept that streak alive. And, yeah, the – the Cyclones are rolling, and hopefully we can roll into Lawrence next week and get a big win there as well while we take on the Jayhawks. Normally that's a given, but, you know, then things happen like KU beating TCU. That Things like that aren't supposed to happen in the Big 12. KU's just supposed to lose to everybody. Gr- granted, TCU's losing a lot of their – has lost a lot of their offensive talent, but – Well, that's what happens when you get arrested for beating a family member is you don't get to play football. Yeah, he shouldn't be able to play football anyway. That, so that's true. So note to the Cyclones uh, players, if you're listening, also let us know if you're listening because we love you. But uh, don't beat your family members. We like to have you on the field, please. Back to the football game, uh, the Cyclone football game. I I should say, um, I I was a little bit upset during the game, especially on the Cyclones' first drive of the game. Uh, we ended the drive and had to punt. We're forced to punt. Yet the offensive line decides to block the wrong players, and we have a free rusher all the way to the punter, and he blocks the punt and recovers it in the end zone for a touchdown. And that was a big – That was I at that point in the game, I thought that was the – going to be the tone setter for the whole game and I was thinking in my head uh oh this this game might be a long game if this kind of stuff is going to happen but Mike was going over the video with me earlier and the long snapper just didn't block anybody at all on the play yeah so what happened on the play is when we went back and look at it so normally on on a on a punt, unless you have some sort of weird play on, it's always it's always your job to block the most inside guy that comes at you, right? So Texas Tech was bringing a bit of a rush on that on that punt, trying to get a block. So um, that meant our guy on the uh, 
on the edge of the line had to step in to get the inside guy rushing, leaving a rusher on the edge, which is normally fine because then one of the, the two back players can pick up that edge rusher and everything's fine. This year was the long snapper completely whiffed on his block, allowing one guy straight through the middle of the offensive line, which then the guy in back had to do his job and stop the guy coming right up the middle, but there was still that free rusher on the outside that then no one was able to pick up, and he was the one who eventually blocked the punt and returned it for a touchdown. So after looking at that play, I think it was on the long snapper for letting the guy through the center. The other thing about the Cyclone special teams, they were they were very special. Our, our place kicker um, also missed a field goal in the game as well, uh, and our special teams essentially they they lost us three points that could have uh we still could have had the lead it could have been 34 31 um had the rest of the game panned out the same way we still would have been up by three had we made that field goal and had we not given up that block punt for a touchdown we would have been up by we could have been up by seven who knows how the rest of the game would have panned out had those situations gone differently but that was a big swing um uh, three points that we lost and seven points that Texas Tech gained. And I thought that was going to be a big momentum shift. But overall, the defense played really well again. The defense showed up, three interceptions uh, on the day, and really making Texas Tech's freshman quarterback work uh, throughout the whole game. And I think he cracked under pressure when he had to. He uh, through tried to throw a pass away uh, that resulted in intentional grounding because it didn't make it back to the line of scrimmage. Well, we were actually that one he resulted in, in a safety. safety. So the Cyclone defense did get another safety this week. That's that's how that one went. And yeah, so Cyclone that makes Cyclones a first first team in college football history with a. Uh, safety in three consecutive games since at least 1995 and they didn't keep statistics like that before 1995 so who knows how long it actually has been yeah so it's we we aren't quite up to the one safety per game average yet hey we're getting there though don't knock it we're we're coming up at least it's still we still only need four in our next game against KU so in order to get up to that one per game could happen K- KU could be really bad that day. Um, but they're really bad every day, except yesterday, apparently. So KU would be normal that day. True. That would work. That would be enough for, for us against KU. That'd be good. But, oh. yeah, the, the defense overall played very well. Um, Texas Tech came into the game averaging 527 yards per game on offense. <laughs> Cyclones held them to 363, which is well below their season average. Wow, um, I'm glad you could figure out that that was below their season average, Kyle. Thank you. Thank but you. Our listeners couldn't have done that on them by it's, themselves. It's just the the streak continues that the defense has held every team below its season average in yards of total offense throughout this whole season. So I wanted to make sure that I had that stat in there. And, yeah, the, the three interceptions, one for a touchdown, um, I think that really gave our offense a lift when our offense was very inconsistent. Our wide receivers just had – had the case of the drops this game, and it wasn't it wasn't pretty. Yeah, I think wide receivers dropped some big balls, uh, some big passes during that game. But uh, 
something that I do want to talk about is uh, the Cyclones game plan going into that. So it was pretty obvious at multiple points in the game that uh, Matt Campbell had a pretty conservative game plan going there where he essentially said, we are, we are going to make Texas Tech's true freshman quarterback beat us, right? He, he, we, we forced Texas Tech's quarterback. They threw, they threw 59 passes in that game. They dropped back to pass 59 times. And we, though we didn't get a ton of sacks this game, we still got enough pressure on the quarterback that we were forcing him to throw bad passes off his back foot or to throw, intercept, or throw interceptions or just throw balls away. So we did a really good job as far as, as uh, the defense getting pressure on there. And because we played it conservative, we punted in some situations where maybe we could have gone for it on fourth down or kicked a long field goal to put them deep in their own territory. And we put that pressure on Texas Tech to, to go out there and beat us. And they just weren't able to, they weren't able to do it for a long enough time to be able to get it done. And uh, two freshmen eventually cracked under the pressure, throwing two, two key interceptions in the fourth quarter to help the Cyclones uh, seal up that victory. What this victory does mean for the Cyclones, along with the uh, Oklahoma State win over Texas last night. Thank you, Oklahoma State. We do appreciate that. What it does mean is that the Cyclones now control their own destiny to go into the Big 12 championship game on December 1st. If the Cyclones win out, beating KU on the road, Baylor at home, uh, then winning at Texas, and then beating K-State at home, they will be going to the Big 12 championship game on, De on December 1st. Now, because if, if, if we look at it, so right now the Cyclones are in, in fourth place in the Big 12, one game behind Texas, Oklahoma, and West Virginia. So if we win out, that means Texas would lose one game. So that Texas has one loss or has two losses now with us. And West Virginia and Oklahoma still play each other. So since there are no ties in college football, one of those two teams also has to lose. Therefore, there's at most one team with, two, with one loss. And then if there's a three-way tie, the Cyclones would win all of those, those three-way tiebreakers, whether it's between... Texas, Iowa State, and Oklahoma, or between Texas, Iowa State, and West Virginia, Iowa State would win all three of those, or would win both of those three-way tiebreakers, sending us to the Big 12 championship game. Looking forward, though, at what the Cyclones have to do, uh, the special teams definitely needs to be better. We were behind the eight ball the entire game on um, field position. We lost the field position battle, and that helped to result in that strip sack um, touchdown that Texas Tech was able to get. And that was mainly due to poor punting uh, that we had throughout the entire game. I think we only had one or two fairly decent punts the entire game, but the rest of the time we were, we were Texas Tech had really good field position that led to some scores for them, or they were able to move the ball and then pin us deep, and we couldn't do anything about it. Um, so I just – the special teams definitely need to improve. Um, I think the ground game is going to be key going forward, especially looking at that Texas matchup. Uh, keeping Texas's offense off the field is something that we're going to have to do. And I think just the run game itself uh, being really potent is something that's going to help that deep ball threat uh, for Brock Purdy in order to complete those deep passes to Hakeem Butler, 
down the middle or Deshante Jones. So that's that's what I see going forward. What else do you think, Mike? Yeah, I think uh, the special teams recovering is going to be key. I think that uh, I think that having uh, KU and Baylor these next two games is coming at a really good time for the Cyclones coming off two really big uh, momentum-changing wins. It gives us a uh, good opportunity to put our nose to the grindstone here and take care of business in two games that will definitely be favored in. Allows us a little bit of an opportunity to clean up some of the issues that have plagued us against against West Virginia and Texas Tech. Gives Brock Purdy two more games to get under his belt so he can grow as a quarterback before he goes into the uh, the hostile environment against Texas in Austin in uh, in about three weeks. So I really think these next two games are key, not only for us taking care of business and uh, and handling the wins. Obviously, we need to get the wins, but hopefully, giving us a little bit of an opportunity to grow as a football team these next two next two games and continue this winning streak and keep it going into Austin in a couple of weeks. So we'll jump over to the NFL right now. So the Chiefs were able to win another another game another week. Patrick Mahomes goes for 300 yards for his seventh consecutive game passed through the air. And uh, Kareem Hunt was effective in the ground game as well. Um, the defense still has too many holes. Uh, the there's just there's there's not a lot to not a lot to say there. The defense still gives up tons of yards and is getting gashed. Still gives up a lot of points, but at least the offense is there to hold its own. Every week, it's a different offensive weapon that somebody can't stop. Um, this week, it was Sammy Watkins taking over control, and that was such a great addition in the offseason this year to bring him in as that true number one wide receiver that we've always been looking for. Travis Kelsey was effective. Kareem Hunt was effective. Um, so overall, just a good win. They continue their dominance over the AFC West. It'll be a big game when the Chargers come to ta- come to Arrowhead late season. Um, and they're the, they're the only team that can really give Kansas city a run for the division title at this point, but Kansas city is looking very good and it's going to be an exciting game when the chiefs and the Rams go toe to toe in Mexico coming up. Uh, that game in two weeks, three weeks. How long, how far away is that game? It's week 11. It was week eight this week. So that means it's in three Three weeks. weeks, week 11. The Chiefs have their bye week in Week 12, so that um that's going to be a, an exciting game. I believe that is on Monday Night Football. It is. So that'll be Monday Night Football over Thanksgiving break. So you won't have me to provide all the your nice color commentary while you're watching the game. I know you'll be disappointed that about that. That makes it that much better. I'm I'm not sure you mean that. I think you love my commentary. I know Josh and Wyatt love my commentary when when they're watching the Packers and Bears respectively. So you betcha. Yeah, see, you need to appreciate me more, Kyle. Speaking of the Packers, they blew a lead. They had a chance to beat the Rams to give them their first loss of the season. The Rams are still undefeated and because the Packers can't hold a lead, nor can they hold on to the football. Uh, Ty Montgomery decides to run run the football back, or run the football, um, return it on a kickoff, and he just fumbles it. He didn't want to hold on to the ball, and the Packers didn't want to win that game. So yeah. Rams Rams are still undefeated. Yeah, that was, that was interesting. interesting game. The Packers' defense came out 
really well. The Packers defense gave up no points in the first 25-ish minutes of that football game. The momentum really turned, though, the, Saint, uh, the, the Saints. The Rams were able to pin the Packers deep late in the uh, second quarter. And the Rams also got a safety today. That was an, one of at least two safeties in the NFL today. And that really changed the momentum of that game. The Rams drove down and s- scored before the end of the end of the first half to make the score 10 to 8. And from there, the Packers' defense was never really able to be that successful stopping the Rams in the second half. The Rams were able to move the ball pretty much at will throughout that second half. And then um, the costly time Montgomery fumble after the Rams had just kicked a field goal to go up by a couple of points. Um, Ty Montgomery takes it out five yards deep, like Kyle said, and instead of giving his quarterback the opportunity with just over two minutes left, and not just any quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, probably the best comeback quarterback in the NFL to drive down with two minutes and all they need in the field goal. Like, it's not guaranteed, but that Aaron Rodgers can do that. Ty Montgomery just has to take the touchback and give give the best quarterback in the NFL the opportunity to go win that game for his team. Aaron Rodgers has made those types of drives with only 30 seconds left on the clock. Yeah, there was definitely a ton of time left. He just needed to do that. Then the Saints, or not the Saints, the Rams had a really nice play at the end of the game. Todd Gurley, with about a minute left in the game, broke what uh, what would have been a touchdown run right with about a minute left, except he got the first down, and then he just stood there and waited for a Packer to tackle him. It was a very heads-up play He on uh, a very, uh, very team-conscious play. He wasn't worried about getting that touchdown, padding his stats. He knew if he just got tackled in bounds that the uh, that the clock would run out, the Packers didn't have any timeouts, and the game would be over. So it was a very smart play at the end by Todd Gurley just to stop and, and give himself up so that the clock would keep running. And the <laughs> Vikings were playing at home to the Saints this week, and... First game for the Saints back in Minneapolis since the uh, Minneapolis miracle last year. Stefan Diggs down the sideline for a touchdown in the playoffs. We'll just give you a little bit of insight on what happened at 83-11 last year. Mike went through a roller coaster of emotions that night. He went from utter despair, I would say, to just sheer astonishment of what had happened. If you think my voice is high now, you should have heard me when I was celebrating that touchdown. I was I was way up there. I was super excited. He he was he was definitely very excited. He had no idea what had just happened and he couldn't believe it. So it was it was pretty fun to watch. Uh just a fun game in general. But this game was a little bit less fun. The Vikings the Vikings showed some some holes and I think overall showed them so, showed tonight uh, that yeah they are banged up but they they really can't they're they're really not at that peak in the NFC right now. I think the NFC is coming down to the Rams and the Saints and I I don't know. The Viking do you want to give us a little bit more insight on the injury situation that the Vikings are facing right now? Yeah, I'll give you a little bit more insight on that injury situation in a second. I just want to talk a little bit more about the game first. I think the game really turned right with about a minute left in the uh, in the first half. The Vikings were, I think they were up 13-7 to seven at that point. No, 
down 13 to 14. It was uh, they were up 13 to 10. They were up, up 13 to 10 at that point. That's what it was. And they were driving down uh, deep in the Saints territory with a little bit of time left in the half, trying to get the two for one, get the score at the end of the half, and uh, and then get the ball to start the second half. And Adam Thielen picks up a first down on a reception, but then fumbles the football, gets returned most of the way down the field. Laquan Treadwell gets called, makes a touchdown-saving tackle, then decides to get upset, and he throws his helmet and gets another 15-yard penalty added onto that. Two plays later, the Saints have scored a touchdown, and then they've got the lead going into half. That really changed the game. And then there was another big turnover. The Vikings were trying to to drive down. They were down, uh, I think at that point it was 13-20. to 20. They were going to drive down, and Cousins in a scramble situation. Stefan Diggs breaks off his route and tries to cut it back the other way while uh, Kirk Cousins thought he was going to keep running, and Kirk Cousins throws it right to the defender who took it all the way back for a touchdown. Those two turnovers were really costly for the Vikings in this game. Really turned the Thielen fumble, turned the momentum, and then the Cousins turnover kind of put the nail in the Vikings' coffin. They weren't ever able to recover after that. But the Vikings were really banged up. Six of the Vikings' seven inactive players were were starters that were injured today, so that's really not good. They were missing Xavier Rhodes, the all-pro cornerback, uh, the number two safety, Andrew Zendejo, and then Anthony Barr, the Pro Bowl middle linebacker, all in the defense, which didn't help when you've got to contain Drew Brees, and they weren't able to, obviously, putting up putting up uh, thir- 30 points. And then three injuries on the offense, two, two on the starting offensive line, and then Delvin Cook, who missed his umpteenth straight game with an weird injury that was reported after the game he got hurt is just being cramps. So, you know, nobody really knows what's wrong with him. But the Vikings are just really banged up. They've got to get healthy here. They've got uh, the Lions next week before bye. So they've got to uh, be able to come back here and beat the Lions next week so they can go into the bye week and be healthy. But it's never really good when uh, you six of your seven inactives are uh, – our normal starters, especially when two of them are your offensive linemen. I think that's why you saw Kirk Cousins was under a lot of pressure Pressure that led to one of those turnovers was in a scramble situation because of that pressure. Sticking in the NFC, I think the Saints are the only team who can contend right now with the Rams, and they actually go head-to-head next week um, Mike, do you want to see if that game is in New Orleans? I will double check that. I think that game is in New Orleans. That that game is in New Orleans. Yes, that's correct. So that'll that'll be a big game next week. I think that is the best chance for a team to knock off the Rams um, coming up as as they get into the second half of their season. Um, but the Rams just look good in the NFC. And I think the Saints are are close, but they're not quite there yet. I I do think that that would probably end up being the um, the NFC Championship game to decide who represents the NFC in the Super Bowl. That would be my pick right now. But I just I think the Rams are still going to win that game. Uh, still in the NFC, the Eagles uh, they bounced back against the Jaguars in London. Um, the Jaguars had four players who decided that they didn't want to play that game. 
So they decided to get in trouble with law enforcement over in London. They got in a fight in a nightclub. Also another thing not to do. We'll add that to the list of things football players shouldn't do. That's two things on the list just from this episode alone. Don't beat your family members. Don't get into a fight at a nightclub. Add that one to the list. If you didn't want to play in the game in London, just don't get on the plane. Don't get in a fight while you're over there. But wouldn't you want a free trip to London? Uh, That would be nice. Yeah, so, I mean, if you don't want to play, you should go to London first and then not play. Question on that list. Was that second item, don't get into a fight in a nightclub in London, or just don't get into a fight? That one was specifically don't get into a fight in a nightclub. Well, we won't, we'll leave off the in London. Don't get into a fight in a nightclub. Are we actually making a list? I was kind of joking about that. No, we're going to actually make a list okay. of things football players should not do. Okay. That's on, can we add... Uh, Graffitiing a bridge in Brookside Park to that list. Oh God, that, who, who was that? Even? Oh, was that was that Marcel Spears? No. Brian Peavy. Brian Peavy was one of the Peavy. former Cyclone corners who, uh, before the ball game and before the ball game last year, uh, got suspended because he uh, he decided to uh, go graffiti the bridge in in Brookside Park here in Ames and uh, got caught. So he got suspended for a ball Doesn't game. Doesn't Brian Peavy still play for the team? Uh, yeah, I think he's, he's on the roster. He's one he? of our four captains. I got him confused with a graduated corner. I apologize. DeAndre Payne. Yeah. So now on the list we have don't <laughs> beat your family members, don't get into a fight in a nightclub, and don't graffiti the bridge in Brookside Park. That 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 seems like a good list for now. We'll keep adding that list as uh, as the 8311 cast develops. We'll see if maybe we can add add one thing to the list every week. We'll see if, if developments keep occurring in NFL players' bad conduct. You could just look at the Vikings' history and and see a lot of a uh, lot of things that should be added to this list. We can we can talk about Percy Harvin, and you could add don't throw a uh, dumbbell at the head coach to a list of things that uh, should be on the list of of things football players shouldn't do. We could talk about Jason Pierre-Paul and how you should uh, be cautious with fireworks. So not you, blow off a couple of your fingers so with you, the fire. You don't uh, mutilate your hand. Hands are important for football players. Or the, um, oh, I'm blanking on his name, the wide receiver who shot himself. Uh, Victor Cruz? Was it Victor Cruz? No, it wasn't Victor Cruz. It was, it was, it was a former Giants receiver. He, I know he what you're talking the about. Giants. Yeah. Plaxico Burris. Yeah, Plaxico Burris. That's who it was. Don't shoot yourself in the leg if you're going to carry a, the firearm on you. I mean, just don't just carry don't. a firearm in a nightclub also. <laughs> that, that works as well. Unless it's your job. If it's your job to carry a firearm in a nightclub like a bouncer or something. I mean, that that's true. I don't think any NFL football players are going to be bouncers for nightclubs, though. They'd be really good bouncers. They could, especially offensive and defensive linemen. They're big. They get kicked off I'd the team scared. or something. That's secondary career right there. If, if you get kicked off the team for shooting yourself while you have a handgun in a nightclub, just become a bouncer so then you can have that handgun in the nightclub. Yeah, but probably not for the nightclub scene. You'll probably be blacklisted if you shot yourself in like in a nightclub. But like you could go be a bouncer for like some downtown bar though, right? That's fair. You, yeah, that would work. I think that would work. I think. Cool. <coughs> it's settled then. Um, we will transition here now to talk a little bit about the World Series. I don't have a good transition after that. I I really don't know what to I say. I don't even know where we were at before the transition. That's why I'm just going to transition to baseball. Cause could, could we just transition with the Dodgers really shot themselves in the foot? In the leg? In the leg. In a nightclub? I mean, there are a lot of nightclubs in L.A. And it was real late at night when, uh, when uh, what was that, game three of the World Series ended <laughs> on Friday? Game three of the World Series lasted seven hours, 
and 20 minutes. 18 innings, 7 hours and 20 minutes is how long it lasted. So that, that game got over at approximately, let's see, probably like 2.30 in the morning, something like that, uh, central time. So that's a long time to be playing baseball. Both of the Game 4 starters had noticeable bags under their eyes while they, when they took the mound for Game 4. Yeah, it's not much sleep when the game doesn't uh, get done to that time. But fun fact about the time of game. So 7 hours and 20 minutes for that one World Series game was longer than all the games of the 1939 World Series combined. And the 1939 World Series was played in 7 hours and 5 minutes. And that one game took 7 hours and 20 minutes. So there's your fun factoid of the day for baseball. So the Red Sox win the series in five games. They take a title back home to Boston for the fourth time in the past 15, 15 years. And why not? Boston doesn't have enough championships. It's not like, you know, they have the Patriots and the Red Sox. And Why not give them another one? They, their fans deserve it. They've Dude. suffered a long time for it. If you can tell, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the Boston sports market. Does the Boston hockey team have any championships? Yes, but I don't think any of them are recent. Oh, okay. Boston is one of the original six hockey teams. Do you need me to name the rest of them, or you just want to Google it later? You should name the rest of them. Name the rest I'm of curious. them. I'm curious. The rest of them, ooh, let's see if I can do this off the top of my head. Uh, Boston, New York, Chicago, Toronto, Montreal, and Detroit would be my guess. Maybe not. Maybe it's not Chicago. Ooh, did I screw it up? I'll fact check. Give me just like yeah. two seconds. Yeah, look it up. I'm trying to remember for Chicago. I know it's Detroit, Montreal, Toronto, New York, and Boston, but I'm not sure if the sixth was Chicago or if it was somebody I else. I probably only would have guessed Detroit out of those. The Blackhawks were one of the originals. Yes. Did I name was, – was I right all six of those? Yeah, you had Boston, Ooh. Chicago, Detroit, Montreal, New York, and Toronto. Yeah, look at that. There you go. There's your hockey factoid for the day. You'll get a you'll get you'll get a, you'll get a good hockey rule later in the, later in the podcast too. So we're looking forward to it. So the other thing that I want to talk about here when it comes to the World Series was a lot of the the managerial decisions in the World Series. You had a lot of uh, platooning of of hitters so that you were pinch hitting hitters early in the game to get a better lefty righty matchup, things like that. A lot of pulling pitchers in seemingly weird times to get better matchups, things like that. So the question that I've got for you, Kyle, is are the managers starting to think themselves into a bubble with all these analytics? Like, I, the analytics are good, and I think people should embrace analytics. They're a good way to, uh, to squeeze some extra value out of the players, but did some of the managers go overboard in this playoffs and in this World Series as far as using analytics to make their decisions? The thing where I think I saw it show up most was probably during the Dodgers and the Brewers series. I think both managers did a fairly good job of managing, dur managing during the World Series uh, for both teams. I think Dave Roberts in Game 5 was, was good, made a good decision to leave in Clayton Kershaw until the seventh inning. But I just I think I saw it most with the Brewers having to go to their bullpen so early since their starting pitching wasn't that great. Um, I I think it put too much stress on their bullpen, and I think their bullpen finally cracked in Game Seven, which is why they did not advance advance to the World Series. 
I think back to um, to the 2014-2015 when the Royals were making their run to back-to-back World Series appearances. And in the games that I watched a lot of, I saw managers leaning on players' ability more so. I only saw uh, pinch hit scenarios and situations in late innings when they had a guy on base and are trying to score or are pinch running, trying to get that runner to third and getting him home. I in this in this postseason, I saw a lot more of, especially in the Dodgers. I think one time they pulled. Uh, forget who they pulled, but they replaced him with Kiki Hernandez, who had not been hitting very well in the postseason at all, just trying to get that lefty-lefty matchup or that lefty-righty matchup, I guess. And I just I just think they went too early and didn't rely on the player's ability enough during the postseason. Yeah, I would, I would tend to agree with you. I think a lot of the uh, head-scratching decisions for me were as far as – as bullpen usage is concerned, and when you were pulling starting pitchers who were still pitching effectively. I mean, kind of what I think about when I when I do this is I, I think about uh, the, the Twins in the 1991 World Series where uh, Tom Kelly left Jack Morris on the mound to pitch, Jack Morris, the starting pitcher, to pitch the 10th inning of Game 7 of the World Series, right? Tom Kelly goes out there, you know, to talk about taking him out, and uh, Morris convinces Kelly to let him stay in, and Tom Kelly's famous line is, what the heck, it's just a game, about leaving his leaving his pitcher starter out there for the 10th the inning. So, I mean, that might be a little bit of an extreme example, but I think at some point you just got to go with, you got to go with momentum, right? If your starting pitcher's pitching well and he's still been effective, there's no reason to go out there and get him, just like... There was no reason to go out there and get Jack Morris when he'd pitched a nine-inning shutout. You might as well leave him out there for the 10th, and he sent him down one, two, three on eight pitches in the 10th. Now, Twins won it in the 10th, but Tom Kelly was on record saying he would have sent him out for the 11th even. So I think sometimes you've just got to go with your gut and go with the hot hand, even when the analytics are telling you it might not be the absolute best decision. Sometimes a manager still has to go with their gut to figure out what the play's got to make. A manager's still got to manage sometimes. That's what I think. Yeah, and my other my other comment on that is all the managers know who is going to be starting the game, and they know who's going to be available in the bullpen. But you set your lineups based on who is starting the game for you, and you just, you sh- in my opinion, you should roll with what you have until you get into the seventh, eighth, or ninth inning. Say you're in the seventh inning and you have a, you no outs, got a runner on first base. If he's slow, say you got Prince Fielder on first base or a Mike Moustakis on first base, I would pinch run for him <coughs> and then have that or, and then substitute and get a better bat in the lineup. At that point, they've played six innings and, And if you're looking to score a run to catch up or score a run to take the lead, then that's that's what you do. You you get a stolen base, you get them, bunt them over to third, and hit them home. And that's 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 how I think. In my opinion, that's that's how the postseason has been handled in years past. And I think this year it was just 
a lot different than any postseason I've seen of of late. Yeah, I think I think I agree, but I mean, it seemed to work out for for the Red Sox doing a similar strategy to what the what the Dodgers did. So, I guess I don't know. For me, I like the analytics. I think they're a good addition to the game, but the uh, jury's still out for me as far as uh, how much they should influence a big playoff game like that. I think it's time to move into my favorite segment of the week. I know it's uh, also Kyle and Wyatt's favorite segment of the week. Oh, yeah, you betcha. I'm the- so excited for Mike's stupid rules you mean the mike's super awesome hockey rules segment no 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 stupid with a double o if you can come up with an acronym for stupid i i would give you bonus points for that but good luck oh that reminds me i forgot that we had our our trivia contest last week where we said we'd give a shout out to the uh first person who would contact one of us with the answer to our trivia question of who are the other two quarterbacks to beat all 32 nfl teams the answer to the question, by the way, was Brett Favre and Peyton Manning. And the winner of our uh, trivia contest was Andy Ludwig. So, Andy, thank you very much for uh, submitting your answer and winning and being a loyal listener to 8311 Cast. We uh, really appreciate that. Yeah, woo! Go, Andy! Now, moving on to Mike's super awesome hockey rule segment. Today, the rule that uh, we will teach Kyle and Wyatt about is the one I grilled Kyle on back when he made his original hockey prediction, and that is icing, when Kyle couldn't tell me what icing is. So what icing is, icing is a way, um, a rule that the NHL introduced to uh, increase offense a while back. So what icing is, is that, um, so when you, when you uh, possess the puck, in your your defensive zone, so past the uh, past the uh, blue line on the side of the ice that uh, that has your goalie on it, and you try to send and you uh, send it all the way down the ice to past your opponent's goal without it being touched by someone on your team or being uh, being played by your opponent, and then your opponent would uh, would be the next one to touch it. That is called icing. So the result of an icing call is that the puck comes back into your defensive zone for a face-off to, the, to one of the sides of your goalie, and you're not allowed to change the skaters you have on the ice after an icing call, right? So one of the reasons you'd want to get the puck down into your opponent's zone is if your, your skaters are really tired so you could change out, get new skaters on there. So one of the penalties for icing is that you can't change your skaters, so if so that it gets rid of the advantage of sending the puck down to the other end because nobody nobody gets to get off the ice because NHL will, the rule requires that uh, that the players stay on the ice after an icing. Does does that does that fill you guys in on on what icing and is that a good description? Do you get it now? Yeah, for as a <laughs> secondary secondary uh, definition of icing, I suppose. Kyle and I are. Pretty familiar with a different definition of icing. Nope, we're done here. Not hockey done related. Do I need to reach over to your board and mute you both? No, no, please don't. Don't press that button. No. Okay. Fine. We will segue into our write that down predictions of the week. 
Mike, do you want to give us an update on a few predictions that have come off the board recently? Yes. We had actually had, when I was looking this morning in preparation for this podcast, we actually had no predictions that had come off the board, but there were two predictions that came off the board within the last, uh, within the last four or five hours here. So the first one was by our very own producer, Wyatt Tito, who predicted that the Red Sox would win the World Series. Ding, 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 ding. Wyatt is correct. And if I might be wrong, but that might be the first correct prediction that we've had while we've been on air with 8311 cast here. So congratulations that, to Wyatt. I think that is correct. We had a couple that were correct before we started this podcast, but uh, that might be the first one correct on air. The second prediction that we had come off the air was from our very own Josh Lang, who predicted uh, three weeks ago that uh, he would win six or more more fantasy football games during the remainder of the season. Since then, he's gone 0-3, and there's only five games left in the regular season, so he gets a big old <laughs> for that prediction. I believe that's everything that came off the board in the last week, so we will now segue into our 8311 predictions for the week. I will kick us off here. My prediction is that despite their loss today, the Vikings will still win the NFC North and go to the playoffs. I just don't believe in the Packers or the the Bears enough to think that one of them will be able to unseat the Vikings, especially if they can get healthy here. My vote on that is a double mainly because Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers, and if he's still starting for the Packers, they always have a chance. I'd agree with the double, mostly because I think that the Bears are going to take the uh, take that title away from Hot the Vikings. Take. Interesting. Interesting. You I, get a double. Kyle, you want to move on to your prediction here? My prediction is with Texas's loss this week to Oklahoma State, the Big 12 will not have a representative in the college football playoff this year. I can see that happening. I think that's unfortunately relatively like likely. Um, I'm stuck between a single and a double. It was, was low-hanging fruit. I, I, if, if Kyle even admits it's low-hanging fruit, we'll give him a single. I was on the verge of giving him a double, but you just, got, you just lost yourself a double and gave yourself a single with that comment. I, I need some correct ones though because i'm gonna have some incorrect ones coming off the board see that's I, i'm in the i don't know which write that down to pick because i have one that i want to use but it's extremely unlikely and i really need to get my my average up uh which one do i go with should i go with uh, the outlandish one again or something that's a little more reasonable which one describes you better the outlandish yeah all right, so my prediction is I'm shooting for shoot for another home run. I could see this being a triple, though, too, that there's going to be a play in either the NFL or college football that will result in a one-point safety. That's a grand that's, slam. Yeah, no, that's not happening. That was, that was a poor prediction to make, though, Wyatt. It was funny, but it's not going to happen. It's not even funny. It's going to happen. I'm going to give him a grand slam. I agree. That's not going to happen. There's no chance that happens. There is a chance that happens. For those of you listening who aren't familiar for the one-point safety is you should go back into, I believe it's it's either episode two or three. I think it's episode three, 
where we give a detailed description of what a one-point safety is. So uh, if you don't remember or if you are new to the podcast, go ahead and go back and listen listen to that episode, and that'll fill you in on what a one-point safety Either is. Either way, go back and listen to all of our other episodes that we have up, and you can get get an idea of the content that we talk about outside of this episode. Yeah, and share it with your family and friends. The more people that listen to this, the better quality content we can produce. And then it's more people than just my family listens. We do have more people than just your family listening, though. Barely. The saxophone section. That, Some of them. I didn't need to be corrected. Thanks, Kyle. All right, we still have one more. Write that down. Our um, special guest, Josh Lang, again, is back this episode to share his write that down prediction. Um, nice. Go ahead, Josh, whenever you're ready. All right, my prediction is going to be that the Cyclones are going to win out in the regular season. Now, one one, one thing that one thing to to point out while we're deciding what that's worth is uh, Josh did make this prediction during the third quarter of the game of the Cyclones game this weekend. So factor that in when you made that that he had just about half a half a Cyclones game against Texas Tech to factor into this prediction. I'm gonna say a triple. Since, and my reasoning behind that is that the Cyclones don't need any help outside of them just winning out. So that, that is my reasoning for giving that a triple. Well, seeing his prediction was that the Cyclones will win out. I hope they don't need any help besides winning out to win <laughs> out, Kyle. I don't know what else you need. Do you want to fill us in on uh, what else they might need besides uh, winning out to win out, Kyle? Special teams help. But, but that would include them in, in them winning out. Do you, do you just want to rescind that statement, Kyle? Just go back and... Can we can we edit that out? No, that has to no, stay it's, in. No, it's going to stay in. Maybe they need, like, Gatorade or something. <laughs> they they don't need any of their players to get just, into fights. Just, just put the shovel down, Kyle. Put the shovel down. <laughs> Digging yourself a grave. He does that a lot. Yeah, I'm, told, I'm still thinking triple. Uh, what do you think, Mike? That's fine with me. Doesn't matter what my vote if you two both vote for a triple. So, yeah. All right. Sounds good. Josh will uh, have a triple for that. We'll get those up on the board and we'll uh, keep you guys informed on how I write that down predictions go as the uh, season progresses. And I think with that, we conclude uh, our amazing episode five of the 8311 cast. Uh, thanks for listening to this week's episode. Uh, tune in every Monday as per usual on all of our latest stuff signing off the 8311 cast we have kyle mersh mike ludwig and myself wyatt teeter um thanks again for listening don't forget to uh follow uh, 8311 cast on uh, instagram to get some uh, good updates on the 8311 cast and find us on uh itunes spotify and google play music yeah you bet Thanks for listening. Have a nice week, y'all. We'll talk to you again next week. See you next week.